Our scripture reading this evening is Psalm 139, and um, just talking with some of the men before we began, uh, it's a favorite of some of them. I suspect it's a favorite of a number of you. Uh, it's a favorite of mine, uh, along with about 149 others, and uh, so it's it's a psalm that I think we can uh, profit from as we uh, read and think a little bit about uh, the psalm this evening. Uh, when I first became a pastor, it was the custom uh, in, I think, all Reformed Presbyterian churches to have, you know, we're, we're non-liturgical, you know that. But our liturgy was an opening psalm, prayer, and then a psalm meditation, and scripture, and another psalm, and a sermon, and it, it, everyone did it that way. So uh, I grew up in my early ministry doing a brief meditation on the psalms, beginning with number one and going through 150 and then starting over again. Uh, so I, I had looked at the Psalms in that way over the years uh, during my early pastorate. But one of the disadvantages of that liturgy is virtually all of the Reformed Presbyterian members min ministers never preached on the Psalms. It's a difference between a short meditation which may be kind of a teaching or a reflection devotionally and that sort of thing, but, but not really a, a preaching on the psalm. So uh, in uh, my retirement time, I don't do it all the time, certainly, but I've tried to take at least a few of the psalms and, and uh, preach on them and uh, look at them in a little more detail in that way with... Uh, perhaps a little more application and that sort of thing. So that's where we're going tonight. And uh, if this is a favorite of yours, uh, I hope this will be an encouragement to you. Uh, if it's not a favorite of yours, maybe it'll become one after we think about some of the things that we find here in Psalm 139. Uh, let me read it first of all at this point. Psalm 139, the 24 verses of this psalm. And um, remember, this is the very word of God. The title tells us that it's to the choir master, but it's a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know where I sit down and where I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, even before the word is in my mouth, even before a word is in my mouth. Behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in before, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there 
your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. Even as yet, there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies make your name, your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I, do, do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. <clears throat> well, I've already said this is a, a favorite psalm of many of you and of me and many others, of course. And um, in addition to that, it's a very personal psalm. It's a psalm, uh, we're told by the, the title, that was a psalm of David. Uh, it's a psalm that um, I think in many ways describes David's intimate relationship with God. And um, uh, we'll see more of that as we, as we look at the psalm. Uh, the psalm has a lot of praise in it. In fact, the, uh, uh, the first 18 verses or so are primarily uh, praise of God, uh, adoration of God, um, evaluation of some of the nature of God that we'll get into a little bit more in a moment or two. But then there is a section that is is not just praise, but it's also then a time of um, petition that the psalmist is including in the psalm. Um, some application comes out of that, as we'll see as we get further in the psalm and look at that in more detail. Uh, but it's a very personal psalm as well. Uh, take a minute and look at the first six verses. Uh, just look down through those verses and see how many times you see 
a personal pronoun, I or me or my. What's your count as you look at those down through there? I may have missed a couple. I don't think I added any, but I came up with 13 personal pronouns in six verses, verses one through six. Uh, very personal psalm. Uh, it's personal throughout the psalm as well. Uh, he's, I think, writing and singing about his personal experience with God. Uh, the the relationship that he has with God and what he's learning about God in that relationship. And I think Paul, no doubt, had some of those same experiences and some of those same thoughts as he wrote in Romans, uh, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Romans chapter 11 and verse 33. So it is a, it's a personal psalm. It, it's very personal in, in, in many, many respects. It, it's a very uh, simple psalm to outline if you, if you like to do outlines. Basically there are four groups of six verses. Um, each of those groups focus on, on a particular thing. And that's basically the outline that I'm using, a very simple outline uh, in that way. But uh, it, it's an outline that, that addresses different things, and it uses six verses to do that. And um, I think um, if we think about the psalm in the context of David and the Old Testament terminology, as we read through the psalm, the, the person that David is focusing on is the person of God. And so he just uses the term God. As New Testament believers, we know that our God is a triune God. And uh, our tendency, I think, in, in our New Testament um, background and, and expression is to tend to refer to Jesus but remember that Jesus is triune. He's, he's one part of the Trinity. And so it's still the same triune God, but, but our personality maybe draws our, our terminology more to Jesus than simply the, the broader term of God. But we, we understand that, that we're talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and all of that. Uh, you notice that I, I chose... Um, the title of uh, the precious thoughts that we have about God. And I took that from verses 17 and 18, uh, which I used then as a, a call to worship as well. But, but listen to how David expresses that again. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. So it's my hope that uh, as we take a few minutes together tonight and, and meditate, meditate and reflect on the psalm that we too can experience something of that, that personal nature of it that David is describing for us throughout the psalm. As I said, it's a very simple outline that I'm using. 
uh, verses 1 through 6, David's focusing on a theological term that we call omniscience. Now, what does omniscience mean? That may be familiar to most of you, may be unfamiliar to some of you, but very simply, what omniscience means simply is God knows all things. There's not a thing, nothing, that he doesn't know. And the psalmist in in these first six verses is focusing particularly on the knowledge of God and the way in which God is all-knowing in every way. Uh, I read a little bit of, uh, uh, I think probably originally, a sermon and commentary uh, by James Montgomery Boyce, and he, he has a, an interesting application of that, I think. Uh, let me just share this quote from, from uh, Boyce. Uh, he says, somewhere, I, I like this first sentence especially, somewhere in J.I. Packer's writings. <laughs> yeah, where? <laughs> Doesn't tell us where. Somewhere in J.I. Packer's writings, there is a reference to Puritan theology as theology that is, quote, older, better, wiser, and more practical sort. It's of the older, better wiser and more practical sort is what he's saying. He says that applies to the Puritans. This is Boyce again, but it applies even more to Psalm 139. Here is theology that is even older, even better, even wiser, and even more practical. It is theology of the very best sort. He goes on to say, sometimes we speak of doing theology today. We often talk about the conflict between the head and the heart, saying that either one alone is inadequate. A theology that is all of the head is cold, dry, barren, of little practical value. A theology that is all heart may be warm, comforting, and practical, but it will lack substance. And because it does, it will be subject to every theological fad that comes along and will not hold up in hard times. Here's his conclusion. Psalm 139 has both head and heart. It is strongly theologically, strongly theological, dealing with such important doctrines as God's omnipotence. It is probably the weightiest part in the Bible for discussing God's omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence but it is also wonderfully personal because it speaks of these attributes of God in ways that impact the psalmist and ourselves, both theological, practical, and personal. So the, the psalmist, I think we can say, is odd. He's in reverence. He's, he's amazed at the revelation of who God is. Listen to those first six verses again. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, 
O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. In each of the four stanzas, you may notice that basically the first four verses of that kind of lays out the, the, the theology of it, if that's a, a theological point that's being made. And then the final two are kind of his, his pulling it together in a, in a personal way, as he does in verses 1 through 6. So we see that God has, has perfect knowledge of us. <clears throat> he knows all of our thoughts. All of our actions are open to him. The fact that God knows all things is omniscient and that he is everywhere is omnipresent. Uh, These are are truths that nearly everyone acknowledge if they have any, any thoughts about God at all. But God, here in these verses we're told, takes a very specific and strict notice of every step we take, and uh, every right step, every wrong step. He knows our purpose. He knows the the rules that we follow as we walk. He knows what company we walk with and and all of the the relationships of our life in that way. So wherever we are, we're under the eye and under the hand of God. Uh, We can't find how God searches us. We don't know how we are known. Those thoughts are beyond our understanding. So the psalmist reflects on many things that God knows. You saw them as we read down there. He, he knows when I'm sitting down, where I'm sitting down. He knows when I get up and what I'm going to do when I get up. He knows my thoughts. He knows the, the path that I'm going to take, when I'm going to lie down. Even before I say the next word, he already knows what it's going to be. And I may not know what it's going to be. Sometimes I'm kind of speaking off the cuff to someone. God knows what it's going to be. He knows everything. And that knowledge, as the psalmist says, is too wonderful for us. It's, it's, it's beyond our comprehension, really. Uh, we can talk about it, we can describe it and that sort of thing, but it, it's really, it's beyond what we know and what we can do and understand and all of that. Well, the next section, um, verses 7 through 12, uh, we're talking about God's omnipresence. What does that mean? Well, very simply, it means that God is present everywhere. There's no hiding from God. We can't, can't find a place that he doesn't know because he's already there. Now, <clears throat> when, we, when we talk about that, we have to guard against one thing, that, that we don't become uh, pantheists, thinking that everything is God. And that, that's not what omnipresence is about. It's not that everything is God. It's that God is everywhere. And he is present in all places. Uh, how can that possibly be? I can't understand it. can't really explain it. But um, the psalmist tells us that that's true. 
And that's a true description of God's being, his, his presence. Listen to it again, verses 7 through 12. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. So the, this, this particular section of the psalm, uh, some people have thought, well, is the psalmist trying to run away from God? Is he, uh, does he not want to be where God is? Is that, that what he's talking about? I, I don't think that's the case. I think, um, uh, as, again, as Boyce said, it's a natural thing for us to, to want to escape God, but that's not what David is doing. David is known as the man after God's own heart. He, he, he wasn't running away from God. But he's reflecting on the fact that there is no place for him or anyone else that they can go to get away from God if they are trying to run away from him. Uh, you could go to heaven. You could go to Sheol. Sheol, by the way, is another term that generally is translated uh, or the meaning is generally given as, as the grave. Uh, if I'm in heaven or if I'm buried, dead, it uh, doesn't matter where, where I'm trying to hide, I can't get away from, from God. Um, even darkness. <laughs> you know how kids sometimes hide, hide in dark. They, they think if they get in the dark, you won't be able to see them and know where they are. God sees them even there. He sees us even there as well. And so um, <clears throat> we see, <clears throat> we see the, um, the psalmist describing God's omnipresence in this way, that, that God is everywhere present, able to, um, able to deal with us wherever we might be. And as I said, I don't think David is, is saying that he's trying to run away, but he's, he's meditating on God's omniscience and his omnipresence. They, they kind of go together, really, in many respects. And he's, I think, perhaps noticing that one of the reasons why God sees everything and knows everything is because he's everywhere. He's able to do that as well. And so the psalmist is, is making these personal acknowledgments and personal recognitions, and it impresses him, I think, that God will always be wherever he goes. Uh, no place that, that we can be that God isn't there and looking after us and taking care of us. We can't see God, but he can see us wherever we are. And... Um, that's, that's God's omniscience and his omnipresence. But then the, the third stanza <clears throat> is God's omnipotence. 
And this one, some people might say, well, how, do, how does that come out of, of stanza three, uh, verses 13 and following? Well, I think it comes out of that particularly because God's omnipotence, omni-power, means that God is, is all-powerful. There's, there's nothing that is too hard for God. There's no place that a person can go that God isn't able to take care of that. But, but notice how the psalmist describes that here. God has all power. He creates life. He determines the time of birth, the time of death. Um, there's nothing beyond his power and ability to accomplish and carry out his plans. He, he's able to do whatever needs to be done. So um, <clears throat> he, he's, um, he's omnipotent, all-powerful. Listen again, 13 and 12, uh, 13 through 16, I'm sorry. Uh, and then we'll get the other verses following that. But anyway, uh, verses 13 through 16, the psalmist puts it this way. You formed me, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Um, that particular translation is a little bit backward to my simple mind. But it, it, we, we could say it in this way. Um, you saw my unformed substance. Whatever I was going to do on any given day, you already knew what it was. You already had it in your mind and were taking care of it there. So uh, in these verses, uh, particularly down through verse 16, we have especially the description then of God's power to do whatever was necessary in all of that. But then going on <clears throat> in the verses that follow, we, we see that um, God is uh, looking after us in all of these matters as well. Uh, verses 17 and 18, I think, as I said earlier, is um, somewhat of the... Um, the, the essence of the psalm in a nutshell. He, he's saying that, that it's precious to him. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than a sand. I awake and I am still with you. That, that's why I chose the title I did. Precious Thoughts About our God. But then he goes on to uh, a next section. And I, I put the last part, those two verses, 
with the next part under my heading as, as response. It says, my response, I'm thinking really of the, of the psalmist's response, but hoping that it's descriptive of what our response might be as well. And with that in mind, uh, as we get beyond that verses 17 and 18, uh, he, he kind of takes a, a turn in what he's saying. And um, it, it's, it's a little harsh in some ways. Listen to how he says that in verses 18 and following. Uh, or 19 and following, I'm sorry. If I, no, verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do, not, do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. Um, this is the petition of the psalmist. Go get those bad guys. I mean, they're, they're enemies of God. He, he identifies with God in saying, your enemies are my enemies. And I want you to do something about that. And, and it's a very strong, strong prayer that God would deal, we would say justly, with these wicked persons who are taking the name of God in vain, who are mocking God, who are doing all of the wrong things as far as a relationship with God is concerned. And so, so the, the psalmist is, is taking a very strong stand to say to God, deal with them. I'm with you. Go get them. Get rid of them. I hate them. Wow. <laughs> with a complete hatred. I count them my enemies. And then I think something happens. I didn't do that. <laughs> um, he, he's speaking about the destruction of enemies. About Oh, I'm sorry. That, I did do that. Uh, speaking about the destruction of God's enemies. And then I think it's almost as if the psalmist says, oh, wait a minute, that includes me. And that's how we get to the last two verses, I think. I really am an en enemy of God as well, naturally. That's, that's my being. I'm not always perfect in, in giving praise to God and honoring him and worshiping him and so forth. And so we come to the conclusion of the psalm, I think, as the psalmist in almost a, I don't know what the right word is, almost a bitterness saying, go get those guys. And then saying, oh, I better be careful because I'm one of those guys as well. So the conclusion of the psalm, and, and in, in very many ways, the conclusion of the psalm takes us back to verse 1 of the psalm, doesn't it? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any 
grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a, that's a prayer that um, is asking for an evaluation by God. Look at me. Search me. See if there is any evil way in me. Know my heart. The heart is desperately wicked, the scripture tells us, in its natural condition. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me and then lead me in the way of the everlasting. So the psalmist is, he's praying that, that God would search him, but also that God would lead him in the way everlasting. And thank God, as New Testament believers, we have a clearer revelation of this. I believe the Old Testament believers had this revelation as well, but without the name Jesus, they knew that God made provision for them. They were reminded of it in the daily sacrifices, the weekly sacrifices. They were reminded of, of the need for redemption from sin, the shedding of blood. They, they knew that, but we have a, a fuller revelation of it in the New Testament of the way in which our needs have been met through the finished work of Jesus Christ. His perfect obedience, living righteously before God, his perfect sacrifice, covering the sins of his people, washing them away with his blood, so that God, on the one hand, as he looks at us as New Testament believers, sees our sins covered by the blood of Christ and sees our unrighteousness exchanged for Christ's righteousness so that he can look and see righteous believers bearing Christ's righteousness, not our own. May God give us encouragement and blessing as we reflect on some of the truths that we see David reflecting on throughout this psalm. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. So lead me in the way everlasting. Let's look to God in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you once again for your rich blessing to us. Day by day, we thank you for your word that we can read and in a measure understand as you give us enlightenment and understanding. We thank you for the experience of David in his walk with you and the way in which he was able to see something of your divine nature, your uh, ability to know all things, your ability to see all things, your ability to do all things, and in that, your ability to save your people. So, Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day again. We thank you for the blessings that you give us in your word, and we pray that you would watch over us and guide us, care for us throughout this new week. Grant that we might give praise and honor to you in all that we do day by day. We ask it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.